Well, Jamie, I just have to say it's a whole lot better being a godfather than a grandfather, so I'll, <laughs> I'll take the godfather name title anytime. Yeah, you know, it's funny how I was wondering how your memories might differ from mine because I don't remember a text. I don't know if I was texting seven years ago. <laughs> but I remember, um, and it's funny, it's how vivid it was to me. So it's, uh, who knows if it was a text or a phone call. But I remember a phone call. I remember sitting at my desk, getting a phone call and having that little conversation. And, and he said, uh, you know, I, I think, I think uh, it's just not going to work where he was at at the time. And uh, I'm going to plant. I just don't know where. And that's when I said, well, I've always wanted to plant a church. We got that much the same. I, I said that we always wanted to plant a church in Eau Claire. And he said, well, someone just this morning had said the very same thing. And I said, well, let's go check it out. So I, I knew a few people over here. And uh, actually, the, the church that sponsored us was Valleybrook. So Valleybrook, in the early days, helped Cedarbrook Church get started. So that's why I knew a few people over here. And we just went around and talked to people and uh, kept praying about it. And, and I remember driving back to Menominee where our, your car was. And I just said, I, I just think there's a place for a different kind of church in Eau Claire. And that was the sense. And uh, the rest is history. I, I remember the early days. Um, first, you, they, uh, you guys rented the middle school. I can't remember. What's it? South? South, yeah. South Middle School. And, and that lasted for like two months. They... they they agreed, and then they backed out of a lease, and so then Renew was meeting in a, in a park for the summer, and I went, uh-oh, this does not look good, because the numbers started dwindling, and I was scared for, for Jamie, and then uh, Jamie got this sweet little place downtown. So how many of you were at the place downtown? Because a lot of you, I think, are just new, I can tell. Um, yeah, so this sweet little place downtown, and uh, it was very small, but it was a start, and then this thing fell into your lap and what a miracle this place has been. So I I just got to tell you, it's so exciting to be a part of something where God is birthing something and then bringing it to life, breathing life into it, and you can see it grow and you can see the fruit along the way. So I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. I've never spoken here before. I don't know why I've never been invited, but... (laughs) No, I think I've been invited. I just, I had a church that I was pastoring, so I can never come. Well, like Jamie said, last week uh, he talked about generosity, and today I'm going to offer my slant on generosity. It's kind of a one-two punch between the two of us. And as I think about generosity just in terms of discipleship, and I think many people today are losing sight of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a true disciple, and that that really burdens me. So many people see following Jesus as just going to church and then living their life however they want to, whatever makes them happy during the week. And it is so not that. It's a, it's a radical change of lifestyle. You know, as I've been reading the Bible for a, a few years now, following Jesus really means, if we're going to boil it down, it means that you purpose yourself to live the life that he modeled for us. He, wasn't, he just didn't just come to live a life in front of us and, and say, this shows that I'm God. He said, this is the life I want you to live as well. And so if you boil it all down to, as I read through the scripture, as I boil it down to two things that Jesus was teaching and really the apostles were teaching as well, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means that you, you develop character and generosity. If you read through specifically the Sermon on the Mount, if, if you read through that, what's he talking about? He's talking about character 
and generosity. Those are the two things that are really the, the marks of a follower of Jesus. Now, of course, depending upon where you're at in your faith, if you're a brand new believer, your, your character might be questionable and your generosity might also be questionable. We can't compare the new believer to a long-time believer, a 50, someone who's been around for 50 years. But if you, if you are a new believer and you're wondering where to, to put your energy in your faith, you know, what, what is it that I should really invest myself in? I would ask the Holy Spirit to develop godly character and godly generosity because that's what he's looking for. So much of our culture today, our Christian culture today, is looking in the wrong places. It's chasing the, the wrong things in faith. And we need to look more and more like Jesus as his disciples. The world should see a little glimmer of God in our character and in our generosity. So this morning, I want to look at a very challenging story of Jesus that looks at this whole concept of generosity. And it might get a little personal because he's talking about how we spend our money, and no one likes to be told how to spend their money, but Jesus did it, right? He could do that. So it's not me talking to you about money today. It's, I hope you see it as Jesus. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about money and how you spend your money because, like I said before, it reflects how you spend your money reflects who God is. And we want to show the world who God is. So Jesus' story forces us to confront a very simple question. It's a simple question, but yet it's, it's very profound. In fact, this one question might be the key that determines whether or not you find a way to generosity. And so here's the question. What should you do with your extra money? What do you do with your extra money? When extra money comes in, what do you do with it? And some of you are going, extra money? What's that? I've never heard of extra money. I've never had extra money. So, boom, I'm checking out of this sermon because I don't have it. Well, I understand that. And some of us are under constant financial pressure. But let me suggest a possible reason why that is. I think many of us feel pressure because we have an income and we have a lifestyle that matches our income. And when our income goes up a little bit, we get a little extra. What, what do we do? Do we go, oh, I've got extra. So, yeah, we've got extra. What do we do that we go out and we spend that extra? We develop, we boost our lifestyle to match our income. And we get a little more extra and then we match it with our lifestyle. And sometimes we go the other way. Sometimes we get so excited about spending our extra that we spend too much. And we, we, our lifestyle exceeds our income. And I won't ask for a raise of hands on that one. But that's when we go into debt, right? And so that's why a lot of us don't know what it means to have extra. Because our extra always chases our income. But if you think about it, this pressure that we have to never have enough money is self-imposed, right? We create it when we insist on letting our lifestyle chase our income. And the truth is that we all have have extra. It might be just for a minute before you go off and spend it, get online and, and spend it as quickly as it came in. But we do have it. We might have it when we get a raise or a new job. Might be a tax return or a rebate. It could be small like $10, it could be huge like a few thousand dollars depending upon where, what kind of world you live in. But we all have extra. And so we have to decide what are we going to do with that extra. 
A good example of extras are the stimulus checks that many of us received this last year from the government. Where'd that go? And maybe more importantly, what was the process you used to determine where that money went? Did it just go right away? You, know, you, got, this, you got this extra. Did, did, you, did you spend it right away to, to fill up your, to meet the lifestyle that you want? Or was there an actual process? Well, Jesus tells an interesting story in, in the book of Luke that specifically talked about what to do when you've got extra income. So let's look at that in the Bible, chapter 12, if, if you want to follow with me, but it's beyond the screen as well. Jesus was in a crowd of people teaching, as we often find him. And this is what it says. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me to a judge or an arbiter between you, you and your brother? Probably, this man probably didn't expect that kind of a harsh response from Jesus. But what was going on in that day, the oldest son always got the inheritance from the father. So the father had probably died. The older son got the inheritance. And for whatever reason, he had decided not to share it with his younger brother. And the younger brother was mad, of course. I probably would be too. So if you think about it, this, as this man speaks to Jesus, it's kind of like a prayer. When we pray, we're praying to Jesus. So this man was speaking to Jesus. You can see it as a prayer. So it's like we're listening in on his prayer. And so he's saying, dear Jesus, please tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. That's his prayer. And we've probably all prayed prayers similar to that. Jesus, I need money. Bad. Help me. Have my parents give me the money or or have my boss give me a raise or help me to win the lottery. I just need some money. So Jesus, make it happen. And Jesus like with this man, replies to our prayers. But he doesn't always say what we want him to say, does he? See, Jesus has this habit of always wanting to deal with our heart rather than just giving us a quick fix like like we typically want. So Jesus knows this guy's heart because he's Jesus. And he's addressing the true issue here, the true issue at hand. Let's look at what Jesus says in in the next few verses. Then he said to them, Jesus said to this guy and to the others around, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, the problem with this man wasn't his brother. The problem with this man was the greed in his heart. He didn't know that, but Jesus did. And so that's why Jesus wanted to address it. The greed in his heart was a problem because If he got that inheritance, Jesus knew what he would do with that inheritance. He'd spend it all on himself. I'm guessing this guy had been waiting for his inheritance for life. He had been dreaming about what would happen when he got that money. When that money finally came in and his his father approached death, he he got more and more excited about it. He thought about that new boat or the cabin in the mountains. Thought about paying for his kids' braces or his kids' tuition in the future. He'd be able to retire early. He wasn't going to have to worry about finances ever again. No more financial pressure. But his brother wouldn't share. So he wanted Jesus to solve it, just just like we all do. We want Jesus to solve our problems, but Jesus refused. Jesus was basically saying, if you got all that extra money, you just wasted on yourself, so why should I help you? Why should I make that happen for you? Jesus is... Jesus' answer to prayer was something like, no, I won't help. I don't like 
the motive behind your request. And you've got a bigger problem than no inheritance. You're a greedy man, and you need to deal with that. Now, greed happens whenever you want more than you need. Greed happens whenever you want more than you need. Do you ever want more than you need? I do all the time. I confess, I'm guilty. We have three kids in three different cities, Phoenix, Minneapolis, and Milwaukee. And whenever we visit those cities, I just always seem to find this sweet little condo in the neighborhood that I go, oh, Lisa, my wife, Lisa, wouldn't it be great to live there? She goes, yeah, we don't have the money. I go, yeah, but wouldn't it be great? And my covetousness isn't limited to just those cities. Whenever I travel, I had the same problem. We were, I was on sabbatical a few years ago, and we were down in Chile, and we went to this little island to visit this couple that was interested in planning a church. And uh, let's see if we have a picture of that up there. I, we drove by this cabin that was being built. Actually, it's a house, I think. And I went, oh, Lisa, you know, everything's much cheaper down there. I thought, we could probably buy that for a third of the cost of a cabin in Wisconsin. Wouldn't that be awesome? And, of course, she just looked at me and rolled her eyes like, whatever, you know. She, she knows when to ignore me, just unfortunately quite often. But I mention those things just to, be, just to be transparent. I'm not preaching down to you. I'm, I'm in the pews preaching to myself because I am just as greedy, if not greedier, than anyone in this room. room. In fact, most Americans want more than they need because that's what our culture does. Our culture encourages and nurtures our greed in us, doesn't it? Now, in addition to not wanting more, or in addition to wanting more than you need, greed is not sharing what you have with others. So if you've got something that you could share with others, but you won't, that's also greed. But like, like I said before, we, we see it in others so much easier than we see it in ourselves. And that's why Jesus was so bold with this man to point it out in him because he knew that this man didn't see it. Jesus used a farming story, so he continues speaking here. He uses a farming story to drive home his point to help everybody see what he was talking about. And in verse 16, he says this, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So we've got a rich man here, and he's rich because he has more than he needs. And just as a little sidelight, everyone is rich who has more than they need. If you've got something, more of something than what you actually need, you're, you're rich. Two of anything means you're rich. So he's rich, and his good crop just made him richer. In fact, the crop was so good that it caught him by surprise. He wasn't prepared for it. He hadn't been thinking about it. He didn't have the storage that he needed for these crops. And so he was, he was asking the question that I've already raised this morning, and that is, what do I do with my extra? I've got all this extra stuff. What do I do with it? And let's listen in on him as he thinks to himself. Jesus gives us a little inside scoop on how he's thinking. He says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That's a good life. But did you notice the emphasis here? He said, I, my, 
myself. He made eight references to himself and no references to God and no references to other people. Asking God what to do never crossed his mind. Asking how he might help others, nope, didn't think about that either. He just assumed that all that extra was for him. You see, from him, his perspective, he was golden. He was set for life. And many people would look at this story and go, absolutely, man, I would love to be this guy. I mean, he's everyone's idol, right? He's who most of us want to be. Let me give you some findings from a survey of freshman college students. It was published in a journal a little while back. It says in 1978, 45% of baby boomers considered being very well off financially essential or very important. 45% of people said that. And for millennials or Generation Y with students entering college from 2000 to 2009, so fast forward a few years here, this rate increased from 45 to 75%. In 1978, being rich ranked eighth among all the goals listed as choices in the survey. And since 1989, this goal of being rich has consistently ranked first. It goes on to say, goals on the list that lost ground including, included develop a meaningful philosophy of life. Declining in importance from 73% to 44%. In other words, in just one generation, the values regarding philosophy of life, which we could consider our philosophy of life following Jesus, and, and being rich just flipped. It just flipped. And so people today are, are very much like our farmer in, in this story. You see, the question of what to do with the farmer's extra was a no-brainer for him. You just build bigger barns. That's all you do. That's what success looks like. And then all you have to do is sit back, enjoy life, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, as he said. I think this idea of building bigger barns is a cultural phenomenon, especially now. Everything's getting bigger. Again, let me just show you some statistics here, a graphic. In 1975, the average size of a new home was 1,600 75 square feet. Today it's over 2,500 square feet. So what changed? Do we really need 800 more square feet to live today than we did back then? You know, if you have 800 more square feet, you got to buy furniture to fill those 800 square feet, right? So one thing follows the other. It's just not more space. It's more stuff that you have to have. And here's another graphic for you. 800 square feet must not be enough because one of the hottest growth industries today is renting storage units. Look at that. It's just gone gone exponential. So given this story, I think it's fair to ask the question, does God want us to always add more to what we've got? Now, some of you are probably planning on making a big purchase this week. And you're going, shoot, I shouldn't have gone to church today. Of all the days I went to church. I'm sorry. I told you, it's not, this is just, this is a story that Jesus told. I'm just retelling the story. But just think how much money would be freed up to help others 
If we as a culture, not just this church, but we as a culture decided to, to go back to a 1,600 square foot home or whatever, if we all decided to, to downgrade just a little bit, I'm not saying you should do that. That's not a command. It's not a, something you walk out of here with a heavy burden on you today. No, it's a very personal decision. And I can't tell you that or you shouldn't tell each other that. In a community like this, you shouldn't, hold, you shouldn't judge each other for how you're spending money. You've got to hold that those are personal decisions, so, so don't go there. Don't, don't walk out of here and start, ju- yeah, I'm, you know, you bring out your tape measure and you start measuring the square footage of everyone's house. Don't do that. But Jesus is challenging us here about how we spend our money, and I'm just trying to make it relevant for us here today in 2021. My point here is that the answer that many people have today to the question, what should I do with my extra it's very much like this farmer's. Build a bigger barn. Buy more stuff. Now listen to what God said, again in the story that Jesus is telling. Listen to what God said to the man who stored up all this extra for himself. God said to him in verse 20, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? God called him a fool. Jesus told us not to call anyone a fool because it's way too harsh of a word. But in this story, Jesus said that's what God called the man. Very harsh. But how could he be a fool if he's everyone's idol? I mean, in this world today, this would be our idol. This guy would probably make it on the cover of Fortune or or Forbes magazine, right? They'd probably do a feature of him in Inc. magazine. He'd be selling books on how to do it. How to, how to get the bigger crop, how to build the bigger barns. So how could God call him a fool? Well, it wasn't because he made so much money. That's not the problem. God didn't have any problem with his success. And the same is true for us. We never have to feel guilty for, for having riches or being successful. The, pro, the pro, farmer's problem was that he didn't know why he had extra And how he chose to use his extra. He just assumed that it was all for himself. Did you notice what God said here? He said, you're going to die tonight. And now who's going to get all the stuff you stored up for yourself? Suddenly that bigger barn didn't look so smart, right? Because he could have given that that away. Or he could have sold it and given the money away. But now he's going to die. And he had no control over all that stuff in his barn. Either he, he was going to give it to his relatives and they'd probably fight over it. Or it would, it, maybe it would just rot. I don't know. But that's not how we want our money dispersed, is it? I mean, we don't, we don't want to be known as people who kept all our money to ourselves and then we died. No, we want to be known as people who used our money as a tool to help people out financially while we were alive. We want to be known as people who use our money to make a difference in the kingdom now, not not in, in the future. Jesus added an interesting statement here that makes this very relevant. He said, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. See, he used, when he used the word anyone, he said, he said this is true for anyone. That, 
Suddenly, you and I are now included in this, okay? It's not just this greedy man in the story. You and I, because he said, this, the things I'm telling you are for anyone. He also says, he talks about being rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Well, it's the opposite of storing up things for yourself. It's releasing things for others. If you're rich towards yourself, you're gathering stuff for yourself. If you're rich toward God, you're giving things to others. And if you keep reading just for proof there in verse 33, he says this. Sell your material possessions and give the money to the poor. So this is, in context, this is what he's talking about. He's trying to challenge this man especially, but the people in general, to think about how they can help other people with their finances. So being rich toward God means that you look after those in need. God gives us extra money, not just to improve our lifestyle, but he gives us extra money so we can spend it on other people. We can help other people. If we don't do that, he says, you're a fool. If I give you extra money, God says, and you use it for yourself and not to help others, you're a fool. Now, just just to be clear, when God calls us a fool here, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love us, okay? It doesn't mean we're going to go to hell. Don't, don't go there. It just means that we'll die poor towards God. We'll have wasted the money that God gave us to invest in other people while we are here on earth. So what are some lessons that we can take away from this that, that helps us to find a generous lifestyle? I've got four lessons for us, so pretty brief. Number one, generosity makes you rich toward God. Generosity makes you rich toward God. And we all want that, don't we? We all want God to think of us as being rich toward him. We want, him, we want to hear God say to us when we meet him, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he will say that to us if, if we share our extra with others. Number two, generosity breaks the power of greed. I like this one. Generosity breaks the power of greed. Being generous is like reversing the course. You can't be generous and greedy at the same time, no more than you can drive in forward and reverse at the same time. It's impossible. You've got to be doing one or the other. So if you're being generous, you won't be greedy. When you purpose to give away your extra, you break the power of greed in your heart. And that's helpful for me. I already confessed my own greed, right? You know I'm a greedy person. I think it comes with the human territory. And I personally need a mechanism in my life that will counteract the daily seduction from our culture to buy more and more stuff. Buy those condos in all those cities. And that's what generosity does towards me. Generosity helps me. And it'll do that for you. It'll help you as well. Generosity is the antidote to greed. Third lesson I see here is that generosity focuses on the needs of others and not your wants. So it focuses on the needs of others, not what you consider just wants. When you center your life around your wants, your lifestyle will always chase your income, right? It'll always chase the income because you're thinking about yourself. I, get a little, I have a little extra. Ooh, ooh. I, I wanted to buy that. Ooh, ooh, right? When you, when you hear yourself saying that, that's a, it's a warning sign. And when your lifestyle chases your income, you'll never have 
any extra to help others. So if there's some, you know, here helping the church, or maybe the, the church has some drive to help others in the community, and you go, ah, oh, I just don't have any. I don't have, it's all, you know, it's all committed. Well, that's why. So maybe, maybe, you, could, maybe you could back down in your lifestyle and create some extra in your life. You know, you might have a nice car and nice clothes, nice house, apartment, whatever. People might think you're, you're classy, but is it worth it if you're poor toward God? Is that what it means to be a disciple? I, I, don't, th- I don't think so. So it's going to take some retraining, rethinking. But you want to start to think of generosity as your norm. This is what I do. This is who I am. I'm a person of generosity, and generous people are always looking to free up some extra to help others. You want generosity to be your first thought and not just an afterthought. And then this leads to my last lesson here. Number four, generosity gives and saves first. And then you live on the rest. And it's a simple formula. Give first, save second, and then live on what's left over. Create your lifestyle based on what's left over after you give and save. Don't let your lifestyle dictate to you how you give or what you save. See, when you give first, when you, when you, you make that step towards generosity first, you make a statement, really, to yourself and to God and, and to the world that you want to honor God with every part of your life, including your money. And that's what tithing is all about in the Bible. Putting God first. Honoring God. Giving God a percentage of your income to God's work in the world. Right off the top. You make it non-negotiable. Otherwise, it's just too easy. At least it is for me. Too easy to talk myself out of it. And personally, you know, I was taught to give 10% to my church. I think there's always different teachings out there. That's what I was taught. I believed it. I liked it. I went with it. So for the last... 45 years, you know, Lisa and I, that's what we've done. We've given 10% of our income and more to first the church and then to other needs beyond it. And we just, we feel really good about that and we feel that God has honored us for that. But you have to decide. That's a decision you have to make between you and God. But if you're serious about following Jesus and becoming a generous person, which I hope you are, then determine what you want to give away, how much you'll save for the future, And then, what kind of lifestyle do you want to live beyond that? Well, I don't know about you, but this is a very challenging story. (laughs) Every time I preach it, I go, wow. I thought thought if I read this one more time, I I wouldn't get that little twinge. But I still get the twinge when I read this. I go, yep, yep, generosity hurts a little bit. Let me pray for us. Father... Forgive us for our greed and putting our wants over others' needs. We've been seduced by the world to chase our income with our lifestyle, causing some of us to be lost financially and spiritually. We aren't being fair to ourselves or to those in need, and we aren't being rich toward you either. So help us to learn how to give and save first and then live on the rest. Help us to to have the courage to downsize and create a new lifestyle that enables us to give and save consistently. We want to live lives 
of generosity that show a little glimmer of you to the world. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.